Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. If you're a fan of the show, write us a review and tell your friends about us. And if you donate at thebittersweetlife.net, you'll not only help keep the show going, you'll get a handwritten thank you note in the mail. And we will never forget you. Also, if you want to sponsor the show, contact us through thebittersweetlife.net. And if you're new, welcome. I'm Katie Sewell. This show begins in Rome, right after I quit my job as a senior producer for public radio and moved there. This was totally out of my character. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer, author of Midnight in the Piazza, and she's my childhood friend. And she also moved to Rome, but over a decade ago. She flew there with no real plan and managed to stay. Don't be afraid to start way back at the beginning. I promise you'll be entertained. And don't be afraid to start thinking about how you might want your life to be different. We're all on this journey together. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And Tiffany, I just got back from a trip to Seattle, which, as you know, if you're a new listener, is sort of what I consider my hometown. Uh, I wasn't born there, but I've spent most of my adult life there. And most of your childhood, too. Most of my childhood, yeah. I moved there uh, as a middle school student, and I lived there throughout my 20s and some of my 30s. So I've spent a lot of time in Seattle. I'm down in San Francisco now, and I was just up in Seattle for work, and I was waiting in the airport for my plane, and I started looking at the signs that you see in airports that people see when they get off planes that are the Welcome to Seattle signs or the Welcome to Rome signs. I've seen those in Rome, too. But Welcome to Seattle, and I was looking at the pictures that they were choosing as what is Seattle when you arrive, and it's all coffee cups, the Space Needle, obviously, and then one of the things that was has become the most iconic in these pictures is a thing called the Great Seattle Wheel. I think that's what they call it. It's a Ferris wheel that's been put on the waterfront very recently. I think it's only been there for, what, five years, maybe a little longer. And it's funny that that has become an icon for Seattle because most Seattleites I know have never been on it. It was one of these things that just sort of appeared overnight. Well, someone must have known that they were planning to build it, but it, this feature that didn't go through this very public process like so many other things in Seattle do. So all of a sudden there's this Ferris wheel and it lights up and it's beautiful and it does make the waterfront look cooler, but still for it to be a Seattle icon is... Yeah, as someone who is from Seattle, born and raised, but who left many, many years ago, and I don't go back very often either. I've seen it once. I've seen it when I went back to the States, when I went back to Seattle in March of last year. But I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know that it was there. And okay, so now it's there. That's fine. But to have it be considered an icon, it seems a little premature. Well, I also started thinking how strange it is that a cup of coffee is now something that we go, oh, that's so Seattle. But it is, though. It is. I mean, whether or not it it truly is, it is at least in the popular culture of the city. Uh, and I think every city has, not every city, but like most major cities have their one or two gastronomic specialties that that city becomes well known for. Right. You see it everywhere. Like in Boston, it's the lobster or the beans. In 
Chicago, what is it, pizza? Deep dish pizza. Deep yes. dish pizza. Mm-hmm. Every city has kind of their thing and they milk it. But how does it become milked? That's part of what I've been wondering. Like, how does it become a thing? Who decides? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. Philly is the cheesesteaks and the pretzels. Yeah. See, most places, like, they have two things, a savory thing and a sweet thing, or they have, like, a beverage and a food. In Seattle, I guess it'd be coffee and... Apples. Salmon. What would Salmon. Be- no, 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 it's salmon. It's salmon. You're right, it's salmon. And, you know, you were, you were talking about airports a minute ago. It totally gave me a flashback to when I was at the airport with my nephew, who's now in like a big grown man. But at the time, he was a young kid. And we took him to the airport, sent him back to his mom. And he picked up this box in the airport shop. This is back in the day when you could take people all the way up to the gate. Those were the days. And he picked up this box and it had picture of fish I guess a salmon in the Native American style that if you're from a place like Seattle you're very familiar with this style of art like the woodcut style it was a box of smoked salmon and he said I want this I want this and my stepmother was just like why do you want to eat why do you want to eat bring this home you really want to you really want to eat this he goes I don't want to eat it I want to put it together. It's a puzzle. <laughs> oh, see, it would make a really nice puzzle. Yeah, it was not a puzzle. But he was he was obsessed with it. He thought it was wonderful. But that just made me think of salmon. And yes, salmon is the other big Seattle thing, the classic thing. Well, you know, the other funny thing about the Seattle airport is that you can still buy T-shirts to sleep in that say sleep us in Seattle. Oh, my God, that's so sad. Which, for those of you who don't know, is a movie that must have come out in the early 90s. Yeah, I think everybody knows, though. It's pretty famous. It is pretty famous, but still, that that's still something that you would... I guess what I don't understand is, are these things existing because that's why people come to Seattle? Because they saw the movie Sleepless in Seattle? Because they are a fan of Starbucks coffee? Or is it the reverse? Is it that we associate ourselves with coffee in this movie and so it's how we're marketing ourselves to get people to come to Seattle. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's a second one. It's our marketing. Yeah, and I mean I think like movies like Sleepless in Seattle, I mean okay, it's it's a little bit old. But, you know, back in the day when that was a new movie, if I remember right, it's been a long time since I've seen it. The Meg Ryan character like has this image of Seattle is I mean it's what people from the East Coast, quite frankly, sort of think about Seattle. It's almost exotic. I know that sounds crazy to someone who's lived most of their life in Seattle, but Seattle is just far enough away to be just a little tiny bit exotic. It's not like California that everybody and their brother has been to. It's not so well known. You know, it's not in the East Coast. It's not even in the Midwest. It's not easy to get to. It's just out of the way enough. And it's like the place that if you take a big trip to the West Coast, that's the place you're going to skip. You're not going to get all the way up to Seattle. You're going to go to like San Francisco, LA and in Las Vegas or something. So it's just kitsch enough. Kitsch isn't the right word. It's just cachet enough. It's just enough out of the norm. And I think that Meg Ryan says something like, he lives in Seattle. Like, I would never go to Seattle. It rains all year in Seattle. And they talk about it it's as if it's this incredibly foreign place, which only 
adds to the mystique of the city. And then you see Tom Hanks and he's there and he's like at Pike Place Market, like having a drink in this place that locals never would ever go to. Living in a in a house on Living the on a houseboat. Yeah, I mean, it's just as cliche as the movies that take place in Rome where they're they're living near Piazza Navona. No locals live near Piazza Navona. You know, you know, they're riding around on like a vintage Vespa and stopping for a plate of pasta, like on a red and white checkered tablecloth. The kitsch that, that people like, though. And I think that the places will milk that because they know that that will get people. It's the cliche that they know that they recognize and that makes them feel comfortable almost. Yeah, so in that way, it would be a driving force, too, of why you would come to Seattle. You come to Seattle hoping to see the Space Needle or to see Tom Hanks's houseboat and you get greeted at the airport with images of those things. Yeah, I don't think that you, I mean, I'm sure there's the, like the random person who would do that, like some fanatic, but I don't think you go to Seattle because you saw Sleepless in Seattle and liked it. I don't even think you go to Seattle because you think the Space Needle is cool. You go to Seattle because you've decided to go on a trip and you're going to include that city. But I think that when you get there, seeing those icons of the city makes you feel more at home. It's like, oh, I know this place. I used to watch Frasier. I know this place. <laughs> and that makes people feel more welcomed and feel more at home when they're in a place. Huh. That's interesting. If I had to guess my pseudo-psychology of the situation. Frasier, yeah. Well, you know, the, the horror movie The Ring in its remake was also set in Seattle, so... Well, I know nothing about that. I cannot comment on any horror movies because uh, I don't watch them. Well, you know, though, how funny it is. Maybe you have some examples of this, too, from living in Rome for so long. But how funny it is when you see movies that are set in the place that you're living in, too. When you think about Sleepless in Seattle, it's a very cute and charming movie. But if you are from Seattle... Part of it is sort of funny because it's filmed in ways that would be nearly impossible. So like there's a scene, the one I remember the most is Tom Hanks going out in his boat to go tool around for a little while. On Lake Union. Yeah. And then going back out to where his houseboat is located or whatever. And the reality of what it would take to get from where he supposedly lives to where he goes in his dinghy, he would need to go through the lock system yeah. which would yeah. mean he has to get from salt water into fresh water it would take him hours at least an hour if not longer and normally if you have a dinghy as small as the one he's in you wouldn't go into the lock system it's not like you can't people take kayaks through there too but it would be unusual <laughs> i'm gonna go peter around so if you go watch that movie in seattle in the theaters people kind of laughed when they saw where he ended up yeah. because it would be ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think they do that in most movies. Sure. We just don't always recognize it because we're not living in the city that it's taking place in. Yeah, I mean, they would have to because they're just scouting locations. Right. But I'm sure you have examples of that with Rome. I mean, how much did Roman holiday, would you say, affect what people think they should be doing when they're in Rome? You know, the crazy thing is I think Roman holiday still affects what people think after 50 or 60 years. I think people still look to that movie. I think that movie created so many icons of Rome, just like Sleepless in Seattle created icons for Seattle. Well, for instance, when I lived in Rome, the apartment we rented, remember there was a giant picture of Audrey Hepburn on the wall. Yeah, you're right. There was. Of all things. Yeah. Why? <laughs> just because of that movie. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, so I, I don't have any specifics on like, did they 
cut this wrong. I, I don't know in that kind of specifics. But I think that in general movies create a kind of false reality of the cities that they take place in. Maybe not every single one, but I think a lot of them do. And people become more enamored of the film version of the city than the actual city. And I mean, I've talked about this briefly before with Angels and Demons, uh, another Tom Hanks movie. Back when like the book was new and then when the movie was new, you'd get people asking to do Angels and Demons tours and go to the different churches that they go to in the movie. And I just... I just think to myself, like, don't you, like, don't you realize that the history, the true history is so much more interesting than this fake history? And I'm sure that's true for, for many films. There's another film that was done in Rome called To Rome With Love. It was a Woody Allen movie. Now, I generally like Woody Allen, and I like his movies that take place in cities that are beautiful, like he did Vicky Cristina Barcelona, I think it was called. And I thought that was nice. I enjoyed it. He did Midnight in Paris, which I loved. And then he did To Rome with Love. And I went to that movie just wanting to love it. I saw it at an outdoor cinema, like on a beautiful summer afternoon. And I hated that movie so much. I just (laughs) thought it was so poorly done. And it was so cliche. And I just thought to myself, I wonder if... If I lived in Barcelona, maybe I would think that Vicky Cristina Barcelona was cliche. If I lived in Paris, maybe I would think Midnight in Paris was cliche. Maybe you just have to live in a city or really know a city to get that. I don't know. Well, what were some of the cliche things he was doing that you remember? Well, the thing that was the most cliche was there was this character who was like a Neapolitan housewife. There's some scene in which the Neapolitan housewife pulls out a gun like in the middle of the street. She just makes this big scene. It's just like this classic Neapolitan trope. I felt like Woody Allen didn't do any research at all. Like he literally was like, okay, every cliche about Rome, that's what I'm going to write about, every single cliche. Instead of being like, well, what do people actually do in Rome? What are the actual interesting things about the city? I just feel like he didn't do his homework. Hi there, I'm Katie. And I'm Tiffany. Taking a brief moment out of the show so I can ask Tiffany a question. Yes? So Tiffany, you listen to podcasts, right? I mean, besides ours. Of course I do. Okay. Yes. Well, see, me too. And I was just thinking the other day that sometimes when a show that I really love pops into my feed, I feel a sense of relief. It might not be relief. I don't even know what the word, right word would be. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, because, you know, you're excited when the show that you love comes up and you wait the whole week so you can hear it. And then, yeah, I totally feel the same. Yeah, it's just so great to have it there. Well, so my question for you is, do you think that there are listeners out there that think the same way about our show? Like they get a little electric spark when they see it. I know there are. I mean, I we've had so many people write to us and tell us. I'm sure there are. So the question is... Are you out there, dear listener? Are you the person listening to the sound of my voice who feels a sense of relief or joy or just plain excited when the show appears? If you are that person who has found that through the months and years you've come to rely on the company and conversations that you're finding here, please keep those conversations going by pledging your support at our brand new Patreon page. Yes. Oh, by the way, do you know what Patreon is, Tiffany? I do. Patreon is this amazing website that makes it really easy for you to support the independent art that you love, like us. Like us. And you can receive fabulous prizes too. 
Um, depending on you know how much you want to pledge to support us, you, there are certain prizes. For example, if you're thinking of moving to Italy now or in the future, if it's an idea that interests you, you won't want to miss my exclusive guide created just for our Patreon supporters called How to Move to Italy Without Losing Your Mind and several others just for people who, who might be traveling to Italy as well. That sounds relatively important. If you're planning on a trip to Italy or a move to Italy, you definitely don't want to lose your mind. And that's just one of the many exclusive gifts you can get, pick out, select when you pledge your support for our show at patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. We like to consider ourselves artists and we made this thing. And if you like what we're making, please support it too. Yes. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So that's patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. And I will put this link in the show notes, of course. And we thank you so much for giving back to the show that keeps you in good company. And now back to the show. Well, what about when I think about the lasting effects of movies in Rome? I picture why are people going to the Trevi Fountain? Yeah, I mean... Beyond the fact that it's totally beautiful. And what's the mouth of fate called? I don't even remember. The mouth of truth. The mouth of truth. Oh, yes. Everybody goes to the mouth of truth, the Boca de la Verita. It's such a pointless thing to see. Um, it's just pointless. It's a manhole cover, is it not? It's a manhole cover. It's an ancient manhole cover, but there are others in the city. There are like tons of them in the Vatican museums, on the walls. People don't even look at them. There's a big one on Via Giulia that was turned into a fountain. Yeah, I hate that one. It's just a really big round manhole cover, drain cover with a face. And yes, there's a legend behind it that it would cut off your hand if you put it inside and told it a lie. There's a cute story behind it, but there's like a bazillion cute stories like that in Rome, little legends. But I suppose because they go and see it in Roman holiday, people line up for hours to see this thing. And it used to be free. It's because it's basically where it is, is it's in the portico of a church. So the church is free to go into. It's a beautiful church, actually. It's a medieval church with gorgeous mosaics. Nobody ever goes in. People just go into the portico. And it used to be that, you know, you would... I'm thinking about the first time I really, truly visited Rome in 1999. And I'm sure there was a bit of a line. You didn't have to pay anything. You just go up there and you take pictures, as many pictures as you want. But now... There's this huge line. I mean, it goes all the way out and around the block and you have to pay money to take a picture. Every person who wants a picture has to pay. I don't know if it's five euros or two euros. I don't know. But every single person who wants a picture has to pay. And I'm just stunned. There's there's so much to see in Rome. It's not like some podunk town where like there's like four sites and they really push them because there's nothing else. Like Rome, you could not see the entire city of Rome in your lifetime if you live there. And here all these people are wasting hours to take a picture with this stupid manhole cover. It just drives me nuts. It's the same thing as like the people who who wait for hours in line to buy a coffee at the first Starbucks in Seattle, which my husband was like, we got to go to this first Starbucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we ended up not going because the line was too long. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the same kind of thing. It's like this false history. It's really not important in the scheme of things. Yeah, with that Starbucks in Seattle, I've been in that Starbucks before, but I've never actually ordered a coffee from there because it would be, one, insane to wait in line for a Starbucks coffee when there's so many Starbucks coffees 
not just in Seattle, but every single place in the entire world at this point, including Italy, unfortunately. But two, I mean, it's such a tiny store. So they really don't have the capacity to do much. And there's such a long, long line of tourists who want to see it. And really, the only thing to see is to see the original sign, which is outside on the sidewalk. So as long as you see the original sign, which lets you know that it didn't used to just be the head, the iconic green head. It used to be brown and there used to be like an entire body involved. Yeah, that's kind of fun to see once if you if you haven't seen it before, but you definitely don't need to order the coffee from there because it tastes exactly the same as any other Starbucks coffee in the world. So you're just doing it just to do it. That's the other interesting thing, doing something just to say that you did it. Why do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> why, why do humans do that? I don't know why we do it, but we do it. We do it. I mean, I'm totally like seduced into that as well. When I travel to new places I've never been, I, I often buy the rough guide guidebook. And the rough guide has the first three or four pages in full color. They have 23 things that you cannot miss in this city or in this country. And I'm always seduced into those things, especially if I'm traveling alone. Because when you travel alone, you have more time to see things because there's less like hanging out time. You're going, going, going. And I went to Lisbon by myself. And one of the things was you have to go to this cafe, this pastry shop in Belen, almost like a suburb or like the northern part of the city. You have to take a trolley to get there. And you have to eat this one particular type of pastry, like this cream custard cake. It's the classic thing. You have to get it at this one place. You just have to go. And so, of course, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. You know, <laughs> I'm going to drag myself up there. And I just hated it. I thought it was awful. Totally rich. It was so packed in that place, too. Overpriced. Long line. I didn't have anything else to do in that neighborhood. I went all the way up there for that. Why, did, why was I duped into going up here. And I've talked to other people who've eaten it and who've loved it and think it's amazing. So I'm sure it is good if you like that sort of thing. I guess I just don't. It's kind of like going to Cafe du Monde in New Orleans to get beignets. It's similar. It's something you have to do and go have some chicory coffee with it. Yeah. I'm going to totally flip flop here. At times though, when you do those kind of iconic things where you go to Café du Monde and you order the chicory coffee and you sit amongst all these tourists who are doing the same thing, sometimes it also feels great. I'm buying into the kitsch. I'm doing the the cultural thing that people always do here. It can be both. That's what's so strange about it. It's nice to be like, I saw what I was supposed to see. Like, I didn't miss anything. I don't like to miss things. I just did my Vatican tips mini episode a couple weeks ago and I said you know don't go to the Vatican museums unless you really really want to I say that but I'm the type of person I would never be able to just be like no I'm not I'm not gonna go I it's stronger than me it's sort of like I've never been to the Colosseum yeah and I'll go someday well, you can you kind of get away with that because you lived in Rome. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law has lived in Rome for 40 years. She's never been to the Colosseum. I think when you live in a place, you can almost get away with that. Can you you'd be like, oh, I live there. I'll, I lived there once. I'll be back. You know, yeah, I'll get there. It's almost kind of cool that you've lived in Rome and you've never been in the Colosseum. <laughs> but to travel there, to be a tourist, 
and not see the city's number one attraction, you kind of feel like a failure. Is that the city's number one attraction? The Colosseum, I would say yes. Yeah, I would say it's the number one thing. Hmm. I would say, yeah, I would say the Vatican is number two. Interesting. But the Colosseum is the big number one icon of Rome. Well, to bring it all full circle, going back to the airport, there was the coffee cup and the space needle and the great Seattle wheel. All right, we'll give the coffee allowance. We'll give the the space needle as being the iconic Seattle thing. The Seattle wheel. Hmm. Mm. I'm not buying it. Is there anything in Rome where it's sort of become an icon for what the city is to the tourists coming there that as a person who lives there doesn't really make any sense? For instance, is gelato such a big deal in Rome? Yes, it is. All right. Is <laughs> Italians eat gelato all the day. Gelato pizza, it's true. People, Italians, Romans eat it. What about the Vespa? I think that Americans love the Vespa, but Italians drive scooters. They don't all drive Vespas. But, you know, every young Italian has a scooter. Before they get their first car, they have a scooter. And a lot of adults, even middle-aged people, like that's how they get around is on a scooter. Like I said, the Vespa is like the classic. It's the one that makes you think of Audrey Hepburn and all of that. And it's cute. And it's, But they do use scooters and they do use Vespas. So I don't know that there's anything. I think <sighs> it's really weird that I'm like not coming up with anything. Even the Boca de la Verità. I don't think most Italians would say like that's something where you have to that's someplace you have to go. But I have seen like some kind of cheesy middle-aged Italian men wearing like a gold necklace with the pendant is the copy of the Boca della Verità. So I have seen that. Maybe for them it's a thing as well. Or just like a place where the locals never like the Space Needle is a place where Seattleites never go. Mm-hmm. With maybe random exception of maybe a couple like having like an anniversary meal or something right yeah but even still i don't think most people go there no i think for for an italian it would probably be maybe the trevi fountain like an italian would never just go for a walk to the trevi fountain go throw a coin over their shoulder or go throw a coin in <laughs> yeah like that that they would just never do that yeah because it's so chaotic and so crowded but maybe rome is different because Rome is full of truly beautiful sites and places that are not famous just because they're there, but because they're truly beautiful. And the food as well. I mean, the food is really good. It's not just famous because, oh, this is what they eat here. So I have to eat this because this is what they eat here. It's no like, I have to eat this because this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that in Seattle, I haven't been there, but i would guess that in the next year or so, more Seattleites will be going to the Space Needle than normal because they just redid the Space Needle and turned the floors into glass. Oh, God. Okay, remind me not <laughs> to ever go there again. That sounds terrifying. I will definitely at some point need to go see what that's about. <laughs> well, shall we leave it there? Sure. Do you want to give one tip of one iconic thing in Rome that people often forget to go visit? Iconic? I mean, here, I'll give you one. Castel Sant'Angelo. Castel Sant'Angelo is one of the big sites. It's not like it's an unknown hidden gem or anything, but it's a place that a lot of people just don't go to. It's kind of like the 10th thing on their top 10 list, you know? Kind of the one that always gets cut out of most people's itineraries. But I really think that's a mistake because I think Castel Sant'Angelo is really a great site, especially for kids. I didn't mention this in my going to Rome with kids episode, but I was just thinking about it. 
it's a fortress. It's got like cannons and it's got a huge angel on top and it's got dungeons and there's also beautiful frescoes. You can sit up there and in the summertime it's a cafe and you can like have a drink up there and you can have a view of St. Peter's and there's the passetto that go, you know, it's just, it's a cool place. And I think that people don't tend to go there, but they should. And you get a really great view of the city from up there. I think it's a better view than St. Peter's, but it's much easier. It's a much, much easier climb. And I'll say that one of the things that Seattleites will consider iconic, that tourists do often seek out, but is not as well known worldwide, is the troll under the Fremont Bridge, which is a giant statue of a troll that's holding a VW car in its hand. Oh my god. Underneath the Fremont Bridge, yeah. I didn't even know about that. How long has that been there? Uh, Forever. <laughs> a really long time. Since the V-Dub Bug was a popular car, I guess. 70s. Well, this is a girl who grew up in the suburbs. I didn't spend a lot of time in Fremont as a kid. But that's cool. And if I go, you know, the next time I take my son there... He would like it. I will definitely... Definitely have to make a trip down there. How do you like see it? Like, how do you get down there to see it? It's just at the terminus of a, a street. Okay. So if you're just walking up the hill on this one street, he's just there under the bridge eventually. Okay. That's cute. Yeah. And uh, the thing that you can skip that everybody loves is the gum wall, which is great, but gross. Ew. So gross. Ew. You know, I loved in Seattle as a kid, the tow truck. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I do. Yeah. It was a truck that had toes on it. Yeah. It was a tow truck that had big pink. It was pink. It did have like five toes. I think it had like five toes on it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a real foot. Oh my mm -hmm. God. I loved that thing so much. And I remember it was like at a turnoff. Yeah. We would regularly pass. I don't even know where it was in the city, but I, that never got old for me. <laughs> it was on Mercer Street and it is where a building is currently being constructed that will one day belong to Google. It hasn't been there for a really long time. And I think it's actually in, I could be wrong and I can look it up. I think it might be in the Museum of History and Industry now, which is called Mohai, which is right on Lake Union. Hmm. I think it might be in there now. That's kind of sad. I don't think it should be in a museum. It should be out in the street somewhere, making little kids happy. I know, but it's been gone for like 20 years. <laughs> yeah, it just shows how long <laughs> so... it's been since I've lived in Seattle. It's been over 20 years since I've lived there, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been in Rome now for over a decade, so yeah, a lot has changed. Time passes so fast. There are entire neighborhoods in Seattle that didn't exist when you last lived there. I know. There's a whole Ferris wheel that I didn't even know existed. That's right. And now it's our icon. And now it's a new icon. <laughs> <laughs> and we should leave it there. Yes. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks to Lori Lee Elliott for her help managing The Bittersweet Life on YouTube, and to Sarah Johnson for her consultation. Our logo is made by Jody Rick at The Lost Laboratory, with painting assistance by our muse, Caravaggio. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. That way we're here for you every week, both on Monday and now on Thursday. And if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful for you. Send us your topic ideas, questions, and voice memos. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or at the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. <laughs> <laughs>